on on the text. So there's autonomous, new, old readings, and um, yeah. Tonight we have a really nice, really special girl. They're all special. Just saying. Yeah. Always. <laughs> uh, first we have Maya Nichols. Hello, Maya. And then we have Alex Bobrell, who's in the back over there, with the hat. He's reading from his new book, which we're watching tonight. Fragments of Business. Fragments of Business, yeah. So he's going to be reading from Rove Gray, which is a text that was written for Jordan's show. Yeah. Hi, Jordan. And then we're gonna have a break. You can, you know, get your libations. Yeah. And then after that, <laughs> and then after that, we will have Kate Moss reading poems. And then Dinara Mancini. Oh, his books are also on sale here. Right there. <laughs> and if you weren't at our last reading, we launched um, two chapbooks from our chapbook series that documents readings from this event. Um, and they're also here. It's uh, one for five, or two for eight, or eight for one and a beer. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah. So um, I'm still talking, and I will leave. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming, and thank you to Steph and to Emma, and thanks for being here. Um, okay. And thank you for listening, and for the moments in between listening when you're not listening. Those are important too. Um, yeah. This got a bit rolly, so I'm just gonna unroll it. An airplane coasts underwater between stringy seaweed. Skids between two panes of glass. Soon the glass fills with fog. This too gets hot, hard as tar, untouchable. So hot the plane explodes. Shards of glass everywhere reflect the sun. Far away, a seashore dusts salt water and methodically spits it out of tiny bubble holes on a flat stretch of sand. Her telescopic speech commences. The landscape of devastation is still a landscape. There is no compassion if you cannot see. Where they are safe, they are indifferent. Compassion is unstable. In the dark, a small light burns into the corner of the floor, rigidly thin, sharp. The width of a fingernail trimming spreads smoothly from the corner along where the wall meets the floor towards the center of the room. Its brightness, white, scolds, blinds. Miro replies, Tell me, the mountain, upon the mountain. I want upon the mountain. Don't go up there. Standing figures hover around this man. Thick gray smoke pours down, so thick of the heavy-handed opacity of concealment, cartoonish of an airbrush paint wand in the paint app, a cloud-like flat, evenly pigmented, a form registered from the screens of one's youth, suspended, buoyantly paused, hovering above the first floor. Click and drag, crisp semicircles out of the window. Its posture, immaculately plump and round. You glance at Listman's clipboard, an empty checkbox next to Ooh's name, 
is ghoulish and ugly, once plain, now callous. You see the headshot of Ooh in black and white, so you know now. You leave. But at the edge of the path, you linger and turn to torture yourself with the final frame that you will lock and cradle in a crypt to see day, house, front lawn, smoke curling from the windows. No vivid, beastly spewing, no sounds of cackling or sparks, no black smoke, no smell of fire. Painterly, tame, and obedient. A milky gray, insular and smooth, bathes you as ooh turns to ash. In the morning unfazed, you bounce up out of bed and consult your crypt to see the impossibly immobile cloud pressed into the mind's eye like a lemon dropping acid. Speckled fawns yawn, a bore. Touch of the arm. Remember, the sculptures in here are watching us. They protect us, like the screen for the sun. Relief arrives. The femur bone shoots straight past the pavement, no impact, vertically descends and glides into the earth's core. When your body follows your femur's flight like a comet forging, you find him again at the kernel of this planet, repeating to himself in his fire factory. Here, all the furniture is made of molten lava that glows. Walls and floor are lustrous and supple. Frantic, he prepares hundreds of functional molten goblets for a wedding. In the corner, repeating to himself, a kid will make us naked, a kid will make us naked, a kid will make us naked, a kid will make us naked. Eyes boil like two eggs wildly. Arms encyclopedic and boneless flail at sides. The longest pieces of marbled string cheese you ever saw replace each humerus. Now you can walk up to him and peel them off. Here, the kids won't quit disappearing. We come back and work on becoming invisible. So we can meet each other at the center of all spherical forms. The carcass, the skeleton, the ribcage, falls apart to lie flat. Unravels, spreads thin, takes flight, becomes a translucent layer atop all. Masked inside it, we can be everywhere and nowhere. A layer of gelatinous marmalade covering the planet and glistening. But way down there, one key shoots. Death happens to one particular being to cut one life out of the earth. Two labyrinths spin around you, built high in your room. They reach the ceiling and unsurpass it, climbing beyond the tallest rooftops, with no stairway to climb, no elevator to enter, no buttons to press. A most unseemly edifice, built for vertical flight into God's terrace. This obsession with verticality recurs like a nightmare when you least expect it. From some frozen lips, or from some deep voice, or from some lines on a page, it resurrects itself. This frenzy for martyrdom is assertive. This exhausted building over the sacrificial. Here we do not inspect the walls or the carpets. Here nobody sees. The socketed beads are used for throwing. Here no closing, here no blinking, here no crying. 
they stay open. In the waiting room, she greets you with a smile so vast, it passes through the walls to stretch across the horizon. She says, welcome, you have arrived. Please be seated. The VCR ejects and swallows the tape forever. When it is your turn, you join them to vomit what is shoveled or offered. Then you change your socks and go back outside to play. You are not well. The wind carries you and you rest your elbows upon it. It was the tune that whisked you back. When the healer comes, he tells us, someone will join the conversation, say nothing. You will know who it is. Smell like smoke, shifty stance, restless, eyes darting. You will gaze past the window's yellow aura. Large chunks of ice will float down your esophagus and melt into the throat's warmth. That night, you will not let them sleep well. You will engage them with your voice. The psychologist will tell you such mania can be associated with states of fatigue. Remember to relax the face. Bring hand up. Nod. Yes, <laughs> as you speak, and let them have their episodes. She makes an exhibition of dust and light, sculpted by time. Except it's 2034, and now all beings are allergic to dust. There are no sculptures to watch over you. No sculptures watching over you. The month is marked by orchestrated sneezing, ample quiet, and rhythmic air migrations. The nausea of opponents strikes their ass. Voices of foreigners, glances held long enough for each to be interpreted as assault. Part of the treasure, mobile, left behind by nomadic larvae. Forearms at the bottom, stuck at the bottom of the sea. Wavy as kelp, they move with the tide. These undersea divers, blue, so dear it was oppressive. Soft villagers, objects cast in resin, amber stone encrusted into your palm for centuries. Buried with them. So this is what weighs you down into the dirt and keeps you from crawling back out. Two hands sweep. Spit falls, mouth to earth. Rain falls under swollen stars to blanket. The boiler is in the other room. Eight times out of ten, she replies, yes. In the middle of the sofa, shrine devoted to Shiva, goddess of destruction. Under the rubble, her toenails lilac have lengthened, fit for a temptress in black. Here we lie, there you stand, upright, shoulder blades pressed together, gazes soft, forehead relaxed. Your worry wrinkles can disappear. Two birds in the morning sing. Apple pie falls into their eardrums at nightfall. When they wake, a pile of mint-scented mucus. Spurts from the sink. So you want to take a look? Escape from the shower, her lips bathed in frost, queen of the ice rink, that is her paradise, her playground. 
your beach towel went swimming without you. Is yours the deer or the forest? And then, there were two. Don't leave. Seedless melon presses a button. What happens after forever? Perceptual synthesis is passive. Descend to the level of the one. Dream on, little tug. That is too hard for you to reach. Come down into the lips of the sun that blows its mist upon your back to carve sweat from your elbows. Lick dirt off your fingers. Maze of yellowed show roots to appease at first sight the glaring sun, constant overlap, your support relative, too dry, never completely tamed. What about this us sucks you dry? So thirsty as it was for Bataille, for Merleau-Ponty's perception, is the I still the most important organ? In spite of the gaping o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o-o of your lips, that separates what follows from what leads. Words connect strings made by noise. I miss no noise of shadowy delight. No one sees. She lives in a red balloon made of fish eggs. It swallows the whole lot of them until they have been choked into the esophageal tract of a swan that floats, leisurely riding the buoyancy of these generations. In the meantime, there is a ball that spins made from meteoric blaze that sits along the navel tract, digestive fire. There were stones made to carve our mouths into when we wanted to know if they would change as we aged or if these would remain the same for a lifetime. The classical Chinese painter says, to paint a bamboo, one must first be able to grow it inside oneself. But who has time for that? In this, you have a book to graze in, to string together of arbitrary privilege. Reject semblance of unity in discourse outline overlap, study these. These are the depths, quite shallow and continuously mobile. Unitary stasis is illusion. Stop describing place. This is done for you without effort. But we want to ascribe place to utopic sentiments, visions of joy and of paradise. Words are detours ever fleeing. I've had to wait a long time to overcome my resistance to writing for fear of it not being enough. Paralyzed by the usefulness of words, how much of them remains warm and moving, infinitely slippery. Something falls away as something else appears. The listener notices this. You will complain that this mind hesitates, diminishes, drops. Truth appears. Truth appears. We move from these sounds to visions of them. We move from these sounds to visions of them. Phantasms in the mind confront us directly, secretly. Presence distorted and yet concrete. Oh. 
Two eyes are falling out of the basket. They're moist and smell like fish. She whisks them away into the pockets of her skirt, large loose rectangles that nearly meet her knees. In time, the weight of her fists will pull them into the earth. Oh, here an egg has dropped, a delight for the seedlings that swallow their victories whole, chasing their breath like devils, the torture of their fathers worn under their veils. They bathe in puddles from last night's rain, thin and flat, their bodies made of shiny shells that crawl in sludge. In the morning, in the morning, in the morning, in the softest light, in the morning, in the softest light, in the morning, in the morning, in the softest light, the weight of your arm upon, in the morning, the weight of your arm upon, in the morning, the weight, the weight, the weight. Crossing. Gazes crossing. We can remember it like this. The sky and ocean were of a monochromatic blue that dipped into and out of each other like lovers and ran parallel forever. There were sharks on the horizon that were bodies plunging and thrashing their limbs into and out of the waves. The breeze whispers were melancholic and everyone looked but nobody saw. And it was of a deep color of a spastic dwelling, awkwardly fumbling and seeping, all from within a limb. It was as light as a green leaf. I might rip it or let it float across the ocean, but it cannot drown its nature limp, hanging, bathing, sprawling, and thinned out air like a cloud. In the morning we fish sidewalk, hands blackened from our chains like two embers falling, stoic and belligerent. Without a doubt, tense in the neck, canoes peaking. Part of the practice is of a listening, not asking. Implicit in this, a sort of accommodation. When you pull out your chair, what comes? Sit down, take a load off. Not like in Hotel Real, they open the lounge. Nadia puts a bottle of sparkling water on the glass table too hard it cracks. We trade it with the neighbor twin table when the waiter's out of the room bringing back plates of pata negra and some people are outside smoking. Just like that, feet shuffle, backs hunch. Nobody will see just like that, arms push and pull just like that. Never forget you're replaceable. Even your bones, so loopy because your brain is filled with lemonade. The humbles, dagger the humblest dagger, and you will be flaccid. But it's good to be so lucid in the afternoon. You are well hydrated. Thoughts flow, rivers like rivers, then drop like maggots when night falls. In the sign of a witness, is that where you went? It hasn't spoken yet. The tide goes out, goes back, comes in. The lawn ornaments are made of spleen and metal, brought to a simmer. The door is made of ice. We do not enter unless we ask nicely. In Luca, there is no spitting. Oh, that's it. Merleau-Ponty says it took Cezanne's enormous immobility to get rid of the rationalization of perceived space. He wanted them to be events in the visual field. And yes, the event-like quality of data is not active. It is passive. Passive. 
The underlying support for all hypermobile intentionality is passivity. This passivity is the donation given within the active. Discourse is an event produced by the body. Desire, if rejected, erupts elsewhere. Still shared vulnerability dissolves, still relevant, fizzles, still exacerbated under social conditions, flees. The dramatic situation is shared. Deal with corporeal threat of another scale. Overlap went and wandering with his pale, never shows his face. Another range of touch, another range of touch, and other range of touch. Never enumerated or marked, non-centered movements. Physical challenge watered in the mind. Hierarchies of lush. Relations that cannot be summarized, fallen outside the landscape of capacity. In asking, we become new. Constituted by the need we have expressed in language, without which we would not be. It is an offer as much as a departure. Thank you. Thank you everyone for coming. Um, I'm just gonna stop. Uh, don't start. Why not? Talk, talk about it. Can I talk about it afterwards? Yes. I want to keep, keep them. Well, I don't know. No, what do I want? I'm gonna start. Uh, this is called uh, Rose Grey. There were things I didn't know about stored in the zippered compartments and clandestine pouches of our day packs that afternoon in the, in the rainforest. But of one thing I was certain. Neither of us had thought to bring supplies to survive the night. Why would we? When had we ever thought about having to survive out in the bush? True, we'd always been a little reckless hiking together, a little out of breath by the end of it and flushed from our close encounters with the elements. But we'd always made it back, suffering nothing beer and carbohydrates couldn't remedy. We were young enough that a few kilometers was no big ordeal, even when we inevitably decided to leave the trail to the Middle Ages kitted out with everything top of the line. In our jeans and runners, we preferred to navigate our own way through the felled conifers and sprouting nurse logs, hesitating over the massive trunks scattered like pickup sticks across the forest floor. Charlie wouldn't have it any other way. He insisted all the best stuff was off the path, deep in the unknown. If we were stealthy, we might catch nature's children killing each other or copulating in a bog. <laughs> it was early February. We, we took a bendy bus from my apartment to the bus loop and then a much smaller shuttle up to the rainforest. 
We'd had a late Tuesday night drinking at the kitchen table and barely spoke the whole journey. I watched out the window while Charlie stared at his iPad. There wasn't a soul in the park. The gift shop and cafe were closed for the season, as was the ranger's hut. The washrooms remained open all year round and were cleaned three times a day, according to a check sheet on the back of the store's door. We sat on a concrete picnic table to smoke and then topped up our water bottles from a fountain. According to a sign, the river, was, uh, the river water was not suitable for consumption. The word Jurassic had been added in marker pen wherever it said park, giving Jurassic Park entrance. Jurassic Park Conference Center and Jurassic Park Petting Zoo. <laughs> they actually had that in the movie, but that was, that was all me. Uh, anyway, uninspired, Charlie said. Yeah, right, I replied. Although points for the effort, the graffiti artists in this city rarely leave their studios. Sure, I guess. He didn't know. I painted in a studio with other impoverished artists. Charlie earned his six-figure salary in an office on the 27th floor. He'd once been an impoverished artist too, and a talented one, but wasn't that person anymore. Excited about tonight, I asked. After the hike, we were going to a gallery opening at my studio, and there I was going to show him the work I produced over the previous 12 months, a series of nine by six monochromes I was planning to exhibit in my first solo show since graduating. Even with all that had happened to us independently since then, I still considered Charlie my best friend and wanted his critical eye, which I'd always held in esteem, to inspect my progress. I hadn't met the artist exhibiting that night and couldn't have cared less whether her show was a success or not, really. I considered it my night. Not only did I believe the monochromes to be my most important work to date, it was also crucial that I demonstrated to Charlie that I was doing well in my own way, by my standards, not his. We'd both gone through school together, but I was the only one still stretching canvases and sweating into my paint. He now used his creativity to make advertising, sell shit, and trap people. <laughs> so who's the artist tonight? Som Sonia someone, acquaintance of a friend. Hmm. I wondered how he felt about art shows now that he long no longer starred in them. It'll be good. You'll get to meet everyone. Looking forward to it. You'll have to give me a few names, backstories, who's fucked who, etc., etc. We had lived together for three years. And in that time, he had become the brother I wish my sister had been. Then, at graduation, he revealed he'd accepted an internship at the ad advertising agency four months pre uh, previously. He kept it from me, he said, because he knew I wouldn't approve of his careerism, and my knowing would have soured our final months together. During his internship, he repeatedly made vague references to directions he planned to take his creative practice in, and projects he had in the works, but I knew that was just talk to placate me, that there was no way he'd be able to devote enough time to his art on top of the full workload, and that Charlie's safe option wasn't very Charlie at all. Moving to opposite sides of the country had been tough on our relationship, and in the 36 months since we'd seen each other, our conversations had become irregular and far more sporadic than the weekly Skype we'd been promising each other on parting. He was always too busy, and I had minimized my online presence to concentrate on my practice. Coming here to my city, Charlie knew next to nothing about the people I hung out with nowadays. I needed for him to know, to understand, and this I planned to demonstrate that evening with all my friends gathered under the same roof, that I was proud of the space and the network of artists it, it came with. Proud because I was doing what painters do. My day job was admin, nothing special, 
but it was enough to pay what few expenses my frugal existence accrued while allowing me maximum studio time. Charlie's campaigns had done incredibly well, and he now headed some sort of department. <laughs> Great for him. <laughs> they worked him hard for his money, though, and when, he, when I met him at the airport, I noticed, not without a hint of satisfaction, that Charlie looked utterly exhausted, far more so than the other passengers who'd been on the four-hour flight. He insisted on taking a cab to, to my place, patting his pocket to demonstrate he could cover it. I'd, I'd, never, I'd never seen the nicotine stains on his fingers so vivid, and the tremble in his hand, which he'd always claimed to be congenital and harmless, so marked. In the taxi, he said very little, and only livened up later that evening after food and drink. For the next few days, he seemed to tire easily, until long after the jet lag should have worn off. It was hard to recognize in him the Charlie I remembered, who would talk constantly, intelligently, going off on these hilarious monologues about whatever grievance inspired him, rants, other people called, him, uh, called them, although I always found them amusing, sometimes even enthralling. He was noticeably more restrained now in how he expressed himself, as if the job had cured him of his digression and rhetoric. During the three years I'd known him at art school, he'd been through countless phases, uh, fads, fads of obsession, he called them, when for a few days or weeks he'd give his life to a certain painter or movement, a theoretical stance or an obscure director's over. Likewise, he would date women, briefly, but so charmingly he always got away with it. Or he'd get hooked on some trending drug for just long enough. <laughs> he hadn't mentioned women or drugs once since, I, uh, since he'd arrived, I realized. <laughs> it was early afternoon, but the light was weak, and we had to watch carefully where we stepped in the forest. Fog rolled in over the ferns, and the tops of the trees went unseen. The forecast gave us middling odds on avoiding the rain, and I guess we were feeling lucky. As we walked, we preserved the silence between us, until at some point, the whisper of cascading water. Reminds me of the hum the studio fridge makes, I said, for conversation when we'd gotten closer. Yeah. Sounds like you need to get out of the studio more. <laughs> <laughs> Where else am I going to paint? On the 27th floor? I was behind him on the timber staircase that led to the suspension bridge, and he couldn't see my face. Careful, he told me. I think referring to the arboreal slime coating the cedar steps. Spectacular! I yelled into Charlie's ear as we stood in the middle of the bridge, the, the waterfall thundering before us. He nodded without taking his eyes off the torrent. I know, third biggest on the continent. He was so cool about it, as if he didn't want to give me the pleasure. We stopped for a cigarette, saying nothing, and I asked myself whether he was just having an off day or he's actually bored my, by my company now. Cocaine on three! One, two, three! Cheese! <laughs> Who's got the whiskey? he asked, hand trembling as he inhaled the last of his cigarette and flicked it over the bridge. He was grinning, apparently making a joke out of it now. We're 30 minutes from the lake. Yeah, but I'm as damp as fuck. I realised that, that I too was damp as fuck and passed the hit flask. I judged how much he had and drank my share. Much to my annoyance, Charlie consulted the map every time one appeared out of the fog, insisting it wasn't at all because he didn't trust I knew the area as well as I claimed, but that he was simply curious about where he was walking. Though we were side by side on the path now, Charlie continued to set the pace. You're being patronizing, I said, when he started heading towards map number six. 
Fuck you patronising, I'm being sensible. What if you get lost? What if you drink three beers at the lake and get so wasted you can't remember how to get back in time for the make or break opening night? Or what if you trip over a tube and sprain your ankle? No worse, you break your legs. Both of them. And I have to save your sorry Akinta's ass and fire moons lift you out here. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit more low-key tonight than you're imagining. I, cho I chose to ignore the claim that he was the better drinker. It's just a group of BFAs, friends and family, mostly friends, not like one of your advertising parties, I'm guessing. No celebs, no paparazzi upskirts, no, none of those things, thank God. But it's still important, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah? You, you don't sound sure. I mean, any show is important for the artist, but if by important you mean worthy of being broadcast to millions of viewers on national television, then no, probably not. I'm joking! God, chill. It'll be a good night, maybe start a bit slow, but it'll pick up around 10. We stay open uh, the latest of all the galleries, so we're normally the last stop for most people. Plus, our beer's the cheapest. Because you're unlicensed. Uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> no, look, I honestly can't wait. Haven't seen any decent art in a while. Haven't had to pay for a drink at an event either, come to think of it. But I'll enjoy the novelty. <laughs> I guess you don't have so much time for galleries now. Yeah, the, uh, the past nine months have been hectic. I'm always on an airplane, which really sucks, you know? I didn't know and didn't particularly want to know. Quite frankly, his job sounded pretty lame. <laughs> sure. Sure? That's what I said. Not, where have you been flying to, Charlie? Not, how's your job going? Tell me about it. Charlie stopped abruptly and threw the bag from his shoulders. I could have sworn he muttered something under his breath as he bent down to release the fastener. What's up? Water, he grunted, peering into the rucksack and avoiding eye contact. I sensed I'd struck a nerve somehow. He rummaged around with his head in the bag, making a big deal out of finding the bottle. Just have a bit, I reminded him. There's no water fountain until we complete the loop. Why? How much did we bring? Three of these little bottles. We'll be fine. We can fill them up in the river. For Christ's sakes, no we can't! Don't you remember the sign? <laughs> he shrugged like, what the fuck are you talking about? His <laughs> eyes were expressionless, looking through me and past me as he did the fall. I'm going for a piss, he said, and took his pack into the bush. We had bus stops when we lived together and I could detect one of his bad moods. I left him in the trees and walked ahead down the trail. We weren't far from the lake, just far enough to walk off whatever was frustrating him. We would reconvene by the water, both act like nothing had happened, crack open the bids. I didn't hear him call for me to wait up, and I didn't turn back. Anyway, there was only one way he could go. During the peak season, the busloads of tourists made it so you could hardly hear, and think, hear yourself think out here in this supposed nature. But in the middle of winter, enveloped in the fog, all was silent, and my mind was free to wander. For a while I forgot about Charlie, and with the little nip of bourbon leaving me finely attuned to the nuances of the forest, I now recognised every dip, rise and bend in the trail. My feet felt light and skipped nimbly through the tree roots, eager to cover ground. With the visibility so poor, my other senses heightened. I smelled the cannabis whiff of skunk cabbage a couple of minutes before I passed the fog, nurturing those pungent yellow flowers, as well as another plant I didn't recognise, false lily of the valley, according to the sign, which so far into the forest hadn't been tagged by graffiti artists. I stood on the bank. We'd been closer to the lake than I thought. Hopefully ten minutes would be enough for Charlie to walk the grumps off. Mirroring the forest silence, the water's surface was without ripple or current. 
And though the temptation was there, I couldn't bring myself to cast a stone into the fog and wait for the splash. I continued around the lake, hunting a secluded spot to sit and drink. I put the beers in the lake and secured them with a couple of branches. I rolled two cigarettes and was tossing my stub into the bracken when I heard a voice calling out. Charlie? Yo, over here! He was waving at me from atop a large rock a quarter of the way around the lake. Don't move, I'll be with you in 30 seconds. How's it going, I asked five minutes later, handing him his cool beer and cigarette. Thanks. He drank with thirst and dragged hard on the cigarette. That was more like the Charlie I knew. Well, you fucked off, which was kind of you. Thanks for that. And so I got a bit lost in the conifers. Took me a while to realize. Kind of fun, though. I kept expecting a family of coneheads to come bumbling towards me out of the fog. He opened wide and poured half the can down his throat. How many times had I seen him do that? But we're good, don't worry. And how often had, I, had he said that to me? No, why? Why? I opened another beer. Because I found this. He dangled a baggie containing a not inconsiderable amount of weed before me, his eyebrows arranged suggestively. You found that? <laughs> yeah. You found an ape on the trail. Who, who wouldn't be skeptical? Not on the trail. 30 feet into the trees when I went to relieve myself and you walked off. The explanation was plausible, but then Charlie wasn't a fool. I think I have some papers at home. We could roll a couple of joints for tonight. An easy way for you to make a couple of friends. Or we could use the skins I have in my bag and roll one right now. Had he bumped into a dealer in the washroom and not said anything? My heart told me Charlie was trying once again to hijack our hype. It wasn't like I disapproved of the drugs. I indulged from time to time at the studio, but I was surprised. <laughs> from time to time at the studio, but I was surprised. <laughs> But I was surprised, what with Charlie being an advertising guy, that he hadn't found a couple of grams of high-quality Peruvian happy dust in <laughs> Don't worry, I've got a mirror and a hundred roll. <laughs> no, already rolled. Right now. I, I hadn't wanted the afternoon about to be about getting high. You don't want me to? It's what? Three o'clock. We've already had a couple of shots of whiskey, now we're drinking beer, and you're considering a joint on top of that. When you say it, it sounds like a lot, like we have a problem. <laughs> Where's this negativity coming from? <laughs> You'd always use my negativity as a reason to introduce catalysts into the situation, or to act as one, as, as, uh, to act as one himself. It's only a couple of sips of rye to keep the chill out, a quick beer because we were on a hike, and we always take beers on our hike, and a joint because the forest has bestowed it upon us. See, when I say it, it sounds great. <laughs> I just don't want to be burned out before we even get to the show. We'll be energized from the hike, don't worry. I really don't. I'm just going to go ahead and save us some time and say this really isn't up for debate. It's my holiday and I want to have a nice afternoon. I'm rolling a joint. The rolling papers proved to be far more accessible than the water bottle had, but I said nothing. <laughs> Grabbing a beer from the lake, I hastily rolled myself a wonky cigarette and stood up as if to stretch my legs. What I really wanted was, well at that point my desires mattered zilch. You heard the man, he was on holiday and there was nothing I could say to that. So what if it was my holiday too? It probably wasn't even that he wanted to be high, rather that he wanted me not to be sober. He had the itch to leave the trail, I could tell 
and out here in my territory, he needed my approval. He couldn't stand that I was in control of the afternoon and, was so uh, and so was turning to his preferred weapons for staging a hijacking. <laughs> Beer to dull my knee-jerk reaction to whatever he suggested, and whiskey because it would help lubricate the transition of my disposition from hostile to agreeable. <laughs> when he offered me the joint, I said no. Once we, were done with, once we were done with the lake, we took the path looping southeast back to the park's entrance. I didn't say a word when Charlie approached the next map, though he gawped at it for an, an, inordinate, uh, an inordinate amount of time. I took a mouthful of water as he tried to orient himself. Remember the time we were scaling the ridge and I angered the bear? He claimed to have cotton mouth and was drinking liberally from his water bottle. He also had a beer on the go, held discreetly in the front pockets of his jacket. Sure. The bear hadn't been a bear at all, but a boulder dislodged by Charlie's clumsy feet and sent skittering, he claimed roaring, down the incline we'd found ourselves on after I'd allowed him to lead us the wrong way up the footpath, wrong footpath altogether actually, realising too late that our bushwhacking had become trespassing. Was he re reminiscing because he was stoned, or because he wanted to get me doing it too, because he knew my weaknesses? Go easy, I reminded him when he made to drink again. What? He yelped as if I'd snapped. The water! Have you been listening to me at all this afternoon? We're low on water, remember? We've still got 60, at this rate 90 minutes of hiking, and only a bottle to go. Raising my voice, I'd woken something in the undergrowth and heard the rustling of branches as it took off in flight. Chill out, man, you'll wake the bears. He sighed wearily. Just, just don't get yourself all worked up. Not today. You're on holiday too. I swallowed the retort that rose to my lips and focused on the trail which had brought us alongside a bog the size of a backyard swimming pool. Something stirred in the murky waters, a slight hump of something sleek and oily breaching the water for an instant before diving under. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Charlie stopped and pulled his iPad out. Though he'd had the whole thing to himself, he wasn't coming across as particularly affected by the joint and had no trouble navigating the tablet's interface to retrieve a file, pull up a map, and dance his fingers deftly on the trackpad. Viewing the screen over his shoulder, I saw the map was of the rainforest, but different to the one posted around the park that Charlie had been consulting. There was apparently a major point of interest in an area marked on the official map as hazardous and out of bounds. What's that? Oh, just a... Don't worry. Don't worry about it. We're here anyway. He indicated a neon magenta ribbon tied to a fur just off the path. I looked back at his screen and saw the ribbon corresponded in colour with a trail leading to a point labelled F86 Sabre. Charlie switched the machine off before I saw any more. How did I know you were going to try and pull something like this? Like what? Same old let's be unpredictable Charlie. Same let's get, go get ourselves killed attitude to life and total disregard for my wishes. All I want is to get to the studio tonight in one piece and here you are. Actually, not quite same old Charlie. I have a map this time, don't I? He pulled out his tobacco. I did the same, awaiting an explanation. When none came, I pretended complete absorption in the task of rolling. You can't let it go, can you? You can't let me have my way for once. Get over yourself. You're always getting what you want. You're living the dream. We'll make it to the studio, I promise, with hours to spare. This isn't going to be like the time with Baloo the Bear. We're not going to do anything illegal. And if we were, who'd catch us? There's not a soul around. We haven't seen anyone all evening, afternoon. Chill out, be a good sport. I'm not going to sabotage your plans, I'm simply adding another uh, item to the agenda. The only reason I didn't mention it is because I wanted it to be a surprise. 
what this trail leads to is the reason I'm here. I thought you were here to see me. Yes, of course, to see you, to visit, hang out, unwind, all those things, but also so I can show you what's in the forest and what my deal is now, why I've stopped painting for the moment. I thought you stopped painting because you sold out, I quit. Where's the map from? What's all that stuff on there, those unrestricted, uh, those restricted areas? I found it on the internet. I was doing research about the region and, I don't know, the links led to the map. The site itself was probably a bit bogus, but the facts are accurate. I verified everything I needed with newspaper accounts, military records, that sort of thing. That's why I've been checking the park maps, to make certain the internet was telling the truth. Basically, we need to follow that trail for a quarter of an hour, and then I'll show you. Just tell me one thing. What was the website? His lighter was dying, and it took several attempts to get his cigarette going. Again, he wouldn't look at me. I found it on a UFO website, if you must know, but that's not the point. I'm not looking for aliens. Stop worrying. You've always been a warrior, but when did you start doubting me? I guess when you started working in advertising. Come on, man, that's worse than being a lawyer. Here, I expected him to kick off and tell me where I could stick my fucking paintbrushes. I wanted him to let it all out, to tell me what I was sure he really felt. That I was going nowhere in the art world. That I was still struggling to find a style truly my own and was in danger of being left behind. That I was wasting my life in an ivory tower, working a dead-end job when I could be applying myself to a proper career. I knew he thought this. It was what he'd had to tell himself to validate what his, his choices. When he paused to catch his breath, I would launch into my own tirade. How could he not have pursued art? He demonstrated flair and received more support than most of us did from the faculty. He'd been in a strong position, talent, a few connections, charisma to charm his way to the top. I would tell him it was okay if I hadn't made it yet, because mine was a lifelong cause, and success wasn't nearly as important as integrity. I knew I didn't have it in me to be an overnight success and have to play the long game if I was going to develop an audience for my work. By no means had success been assured for Charlie. When is it ever? But he'd had a chance, a better one than most, and had squandered it. He denied the artist in him which meant everything was a lie. I expected a bust-up of historic proportions, but instead he laughed. I work to pay rent, same as everybody else. The job's temporary and always has been. Anyway, can you really talk to me about my job? What do you even know about it? So certain I'm committing a mortal sin, you've never actually asked what it is I do. So I use my creativity to sell something other than art. I'm the devil for making uh, something commercial? Tell me, how are you going to make money when, from your work without committing the same offence? How is it any different from established artists supporting wealthy collectors who only buy because their financial advisors give them the nod? And that's if you're lucky. Nobody buys your work, what are you going to do then? Quit? Only paint because you know, only paint what you know will sell? Your problem is you can't allow somebody to be an artist and have a career. I'm saying you have to have both. What's so wrong in doing what I've done? I've paid off my loans and got myself out there. What the fuck's wrong with that? Now I have contacts and money to fund projects. How's my soul doing? That's fine, thanks. What you call selling out is what other artists call being realistic. You have to be more open. I'm open. You're not. Just look at your practice. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, at the Institute, I was always exploring and testing out these different materials. Plastics, resins, digital media, 3D printing. But you, you refused to even try acrylics until third year. Out of interest, what are your new paintings? Monochromes, right? What are you using? Oils. Exactly, your precious oils. It's called <laughs> mastering a medium. That's what you call it. I call it sticking to what you know. 
But it's not just your practice, it's everything. It's how you interact with the world. In the old days, I'd have to drag you out of the house. And now, without me, you refuse to even leave your studio and delete your Facebook account. Fuck that, that's not open. Social media is shit. Mindless self-promotion. Mindless or not, you've got to accept that this is how other people connect now. You can't close yourself off from everyone else and pursue your practice so ardently that you neglect the rest of your life. What's going to happen? Some gallery owner is just going to walk into your studio one day and discover you? You've got to put yourself out there. You want me to have a career like you, to embrace the inner corporate me. Corporate. What does that word even mean to you? For you, half the population doesn't exist because they don't share your values or buy your paintings. I'm not saying bargain with Beelzebub, I'm saying experience with life. Experiment. Mix it up. I'm telling you this as a friend. You can't be so averse to change. You have to forgive people their willingness to try something new. I'm sure if I told you I'd been making art on the iPad, you'd turn apoplectic. But of course that makes you a purist, right? Not a snob. He smiled patiently knowing he had me. The maps to scale. <laughs> Fifteen minutes tops. It'll be worth it, I promise. Wait. Making art? I thought you'd stop painting. Yes, painting! When I started flying so much, I found a new medium. Paintings don't travel so well, you know? Oh. What did you think? I'd stop <laughs> making art altogether? We really had to get going. We had to get back to the bus before nightfall. So what are you doing now? Shrug. Come and find out. We're running out of light. Shrug. No problem, I bought flashlights. Just tell me, what's a F-86 Sabre? Trust me. He stubbed out his smoke, shouldered his bag, and walked into the trees. He didn't say anything else and didn't wait for me. It was like the joint all over again. What could I do? Take the last bottle of water and just leave him there? The trail followed a gradient the Middle Ages would have struggled with, and it was clear now that Charlie was loving every minute of it. For him, it was like, what demonstrating visibility? 25 minutes later, he stopped and declared we'd arrived. Arrived at what? I saw nothing but rainforest and barely that. This is F-86 Sabre. He bent down with his back to me and picked something up, poured it into my hand. Half a dozen small silvery things. The shards of metal were the final remains of an American F-86 Sabre transonic fighter jet plane that had crashed in the mid-50s. An instrument malfunction occurred while the craft was tailing a UFO. Charlie said the part about the crash was true. He, he cross-checked uh, the facts on the website with news reports from the time, but he couldn't be so sure about the UFOs. <clears throat> I read somewhere it could have been radar ghosts that caused the crash. Clutter on the radar, reflections and refractions, that sort of thing. Ghosts sounds only uh, slightly more plausible than aliens. Anyway, why have I brought you out here when we should be heading back to the bus? Good question. Don't get me wrong, I like this reckless, selfish detour, but if I'd known I'd get to see some little pieces of dirty metal, I'd have insisted on getting chased by a booby-trapped boulder, boulder and shot up by poison darts too. Cut it out. Please tell me there's an actual airplane around here somewhere. A couple of wings, a charred fuselage. Plane crashes aren't like shipwrecks. They don't just leave the plane wherever it came down for people to go look at. The airline or the military or whoever crashed, they clear it up. Help. Would you remain confident in air travel if the neighborhood was littered with fallen planes? How long has mankind been able to fly? A hundred years? Thereabouts. That's got to be a fair few plane crashes by now, wouldn't you say? But why the interest in planes? 
Because if you bother to actually ask what, it, what I do in my job, you'd know I'm always flying to meet clients and attend conventions. A week doesn't go by, I'm not passing through an airport. So, you know I'm not good with planes. Something to do with the cabin pressure makes me quite ill. You saw what a wreck I was coming off the plane the other day. Oh, I, what, you just thought I was hungover? I just thought it was jet lag. I didn't know you don't like flying. Yeah, since I was a kid, I must have told you. Anyway, so I got that promotion, and as my air miles started clocking up, I kind of became obsessed with air travel, because it was fucking up my body, and I was remembering all these things from being a kid. Anxiety about my dad's job, the Bermuda Triangle, sea monsters, you know. What was your dad's job again? He flew in the Navy. I think you met him a couple of times. I don't know if I did. Weird. I realized I couldn't remember, or maybe had never even learned his dad's name. Had he not visited in those three years, or had I just not been around on those occasions? Well, you know what I'm like. I had to use those emotions in my work somehow. I got hooked on the idea of doing a show about flying, and after approaching it from a few different angles, I began researching. Crashes, visiting sites when my work took me in the vicinity. Painting wasn't working for me, but I've been having success with sculpture. Sculpture? Cool. It was bugging me I couldn't remember his dad's name. It felt like the sort of thing I really should have known. It is. Sculpture's great. I recover what I can from the sites and ship it back to my studio. I'm hoping to collect enough to build, I don't know exactly, an installation, I guess. Depends on what's hidden in the fog, right? If we find that charred fuselage you wanted, I have a guy with a helicopter. Mm -hmm. Huh? You're kidding. That shrug again. Here, photos from my crash site and uh, my studio. He passed me his iPad and demonstrated how to unlock it. I'm going to scout around. He patted me on the shoulder. Try to stay put. We don't want to get lost out here. We've got an opening to get to. Hold up! I blurted as he made to leave. He was eating, me, eating away at me. What was his dad's name? But I saw only the shards of metal glinting in my palm. Charlie was off into the fog. Well, what's the thing I was supposed to do before I did the thing I did? Well, I mean, I wanted you to speak a little bit okay. about the book. Uh, so this is like a collection of writings, I guess, from the last uh, year, year, year and a few months. Um, yeah, they're really, I don't know, I don't know how to describe them. The title's Fragments of Bismuth. Bismuth is this kind of uh, weird metal with some kind of unusual properties. And I kind of, I started researching it and got into this weird, uh, this is kind of like science fiction fans kind of have this belief that bismuth is a, a metal you would use in UFOs because it's uh, diamagnetic, so it doesn't have a normal magnetic attraction. Um, so this sort of the, the, the air travel theme is through in a few of the stories, and this kind of the, the science fiction is there as well, I guess. Um, but yeah. Thank you. Thanks. drink is this? Hi. Okay. <laughs> okay, um, can you like a 
hell of a spot. Like drums. I love drums. <laughs> One of my favorite videos.